0: All right, prayer. All earthly things with earth will fade away. The prayer grasps eternity. But I'm convinced of this, God does not hear prayer. He hears desperate prayer. Prayer is not a position of your knees. Prayer is not a position, it's a disposition. You get to the place where you'd rather sweat, you'd rather weep in his presence than laugh in anybody else's presence. You'd rather God whisper a speaker into your heart that breaks you than somebody give you the prizes that all the world covets. Prayer is almost the greatest human privilege that we have. As you know, we're on the third week of a series that we've been doing called Prayer. The Lord dropped this in our heart in preparation of the 21 days of prayer and fasting, and really our desire to cultivate this discipline of prayer. I want our churches to be known as a house of prayer. I do, because God hears us when we pray. And so we kicked off this whole series on the first Sunday of 2019. And the prayer emphasis or the prayer focus for that particular sermon or conversation was this prayer God hear me hear me when I pray and how many of you are glad that you serve a God that does hear us when we pray come on right and that that was the focus then last Sunday we carried on this prayer conversation and our attention turned to this specific prayer and the prayer was God search me Searched me. How many of you were blessed by last Sunday? Come on, by the word itself. As a matter of fact, I don't have I don't have a lot of time to to re-preach this, but here was the, the, the verses of scripture that I gave you homework on. And the homework was this: to pray this prayer every day this week. Search me, God. There it is. Know my heart. Test me. Reveal my fears. See if there's any sin in my life. And then lead me in the way everlasting. By a show of hands, how many of you tried to pray this prayer this week? Come on, you start to pray this prayer. Yeah, many of us. God, I want you to search me. I want you to know my heart. Test me. No, know, know, know and reveal those a- anxieties within me. See if there's any offensive way. I want to get that sin removed. And I want you to lead me in the way everlasting. Next week, we're going to focus on this prayer right here. Send me. Use me. Like, here it is. I'm going to give it to you, a little preview. Here I am. Send me, Lord. Use me. Anytime, anywhere, I'm available to you. Now, today, this particular prayer focus, and I want to be honest with you, for many of us, is going to be the most difficult prayer that you will ever pray in your life. As a matter of fact, and I want to say this on the onset of this message uh, so, that, so that you know that I, that I warned you, Many of you will refuse to pray this prayer. You will not pray it. I'm going to preach it to you. I'm going to give you scripture. And when you walk out of here, you'll still refuse to pray this prayer. And here's why. A couple of reasons. First off, because it's not, it's not a common prayer. It's, it's, not, it's not a prayer that makes you feel good about yourself. This prayer that I'm going to challenge you with this morning is not consistent with the your best life now version of Christianity. This this is a prayer that when we cry out to God will put us in a position for those who are willing to pray it. It has the potential to wreck us, to to change us, um, to, to get rid of some things And and to to give us a different perspective and to see life through a different lens. And I want you to see it. Anybody ready? Here's the prayer. You ready right here? Break me, God. Break me, God. Now, I refuse to stand up here and to pretend like, you know, I've been through more pain or more suffering or more tragedy or more difficulty or hurtful circumstances than than anybody else, either in this room at Go Church or online. As a matter of fact, most of you could trade places with me. You could stand up here today, hold this microphone, and preach this message better than I could. Now, you wouldn't be wearing a black camo jacket like I am, but at the end of the day, your story is impactful because of the brokenness of your life. But watch this. I know personally What it's like for God to break me. I've been there. As a teenager, and you know part of my testimony, as a teenager, I experienced the unexpected death of my father. At 13 years old, he died from a massive heart attack. Nobody saw it coming. It just happened. Another man stepped into my life by way of my brother-in-law, my sister's husband, and and he began to, to teach me the things about, about manhood, taught me things about chivalry and how a man should do things. And he stood in the altar next to me on the day of my wedding as my best man. And some years ago, tragically, he too exited this world far too early. I, I know what it's like to have those doses of painful, broken moments. Not long after Kimberly and I got married, um, I got very sick, very sick. Test after test, study after study, doctor after doctor. I mean, I had all kinds of issues in my body, and, and finally it came to a breaking point when I was visiting my family in Florida, and I doubled over in the back seat of my sister's car, and they rushed me. To Tampa General at the University of South Florida, and that doctor said, "You won't leave this hospital until we find out what's wrong." Only to discover a tumor in my small intestines that was eating away my inside, and it almost took my life. I I know what it's like to be broken. And again, I'm not comparing lists of what you've been through and what I've been through. But I want to tell you, I'm not preaching a message today based off of something I have experienced in my own life, in my own world. As a matter of fact, I want you to know a little bit about these seasons of brokenness. Uh, The first point that I want to make is this. Notice I said seasons. Plural. Because when we get into this understanding about God breaking us, it's going to happen more than once. The need to be broken needs to happen more than just one time in our life. Now, the second thing that I want to make sure that we have clarity on together is because some of you are thinking, well, if I pray this prayer, then it sounds to me like somebody I love is going to die or I'm going to end up sick. Now, know this. That's not the heart of this message, nor is that the heart of God. But I'm challenging you to pray this prayer. God, break me. Break me. Because like Pastor Craig Rochelle says, and I believe it so much, write this down. He says, life's greatest breakings often lead to God's greatest blessings. Amen. Come on, give me a better amen than that now. Amen. Let me say it again, and I, I, want, I want to let it sink in. For a moment, because some of you you're you're going through a, a, a breaking season in your life. That there is a brokenness already about you, and, and this is this is such life to that situation to know that life's greatest breakings often lead to God's greatest blessings. Now, let me say this in hindsight, because hindsight is always what? 2020. In hindsight, now I can, I can make this statement. As, as hard as it is for me to even make this statement, I, I can say it with confidence. I can say it with such assurance. I can say it with such understanding. The blessing in my life has been so great, watch this, that the breaking was actually worth it all. Now... On the other side of the brokenness, on the other side of that breaking, I realized that the blessing and the hand of God has been so great that the pain of being broken was actually worth it. And I need you to hear this because I've been through seasons of breaking, I got to experience breakthrough. I mean, y'all not gonna help me preach today, I can tell, and that's all right. But I'm telling you that my blessings have come directly from my breakings. That God has broken JC down so that he can bless me exceedingly, abundantly, above all that I could ever ask, think, or imagine. Turn to somebody and tell them, say, I know what it feels like to be broken. Come on, tell somebody. Go with me to Romans. The Lord dropped this uh, verse in my spirit. Romans chapter 5, a couple of verses of scripture here that really jumped out at me in preparation for today. The Bible says it like this in Romans 5, that we also glory in our what? Sufferings. Now, I, I fear to God. Uh, enough to take scripture out of context but is it fair let's just take like a congregational vote at both campuses is it fair to consider sufferings to be synonymous with brokenness because because if you're suffering you're broken so let me read it like this we also glory in our brokenness because we know that suffering or brokenness produces what perseverance but perseverance produces character And character produces, everybody say hope. Hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been, on the count of three, both campuses, I want you to say these two words. One, two, three. Poured out. Come on, do it again, a little more emphatically here. One, two, three. Poured out. Uh, I want you you to see this one more time. And I'm going to show it to you. And then I'll go forward. Watch this, because you need to see it. Our sufferings. Our brokenness. And then the Bible says this. It says being poured out. God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Watch this. Everybody look at me for a second. Don't miss this. Brokenness and pouring out. Brokenness and pouring out. Broken. And poured out there is this there is this theme there that just jumped out of the scripture into my heart this idea of being broken and being poured out it's interesting isn't it as a matter of fact some of you are like I don't know you haven't said much I'm gonna give you something to think on then (laughs) I want to study this thought of brokenness and being poured out a little more deeply today Uh, a little more in detail today i want to show you two different stories out of the gospel of mark here's what's so neat about about these two stories they're in the exact same book they're in the exact same chapter of the book and they happen one right after the other so go to mark chapter 14 two stories that happen simultaneous with each other one happens first and then a few verses later the second story takes place mark 14, beginning in verse number 3. Everybody ready? Say, I'm ready. I want you to see this. This is so profound, and it will change your perspective of this prayer. God, break me. The Bible says this in verse number 3, that while he, that's Jesus, everybody say Jesus. While Jesus was in Bethany reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper. Now, one thing you need to know is that in this culture, in this era, people didn't want to hang out with lepers. So the beautiful thing about Jesus is that Jesus doesn't run from the sick. Jesus doesn't run from the sinner. Jesus runs to the sick. Jesus runs to the sinner. Come on now. So he's in the home of Simon the leper, and a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume. It was made of nard. Now, now let me stop there, because we don't fully know who the woman is, okay? Okay? Doesn't say this is exactly the woman. One thing that we do know is that in this culture, there were a lot of women named Mary. Or a lot of Marys. So some people, some scholars believe that this story was about Mary, the sister of Lazarus. Because in John chapter 12, after Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, it said that they were having a dinner party. How many of you know if somebody that's dead comes back to life, you're going to throw a party? Come on now. So they're having a dinner party. And the sister of Lazarus named Mary comes in and she expresses her love and her act of worship the same way that we see in Mark chapter 14. But we're not 100% sure it's the same Mary. Some scholars believe that this is Mary Magdalene who in Luke, Jesus delivered and freed over seven demons that were possessed on the inside of her. So some people think that this Mary, Mary Magdalene, is the one that was giving thanksgiving to God, an act of worship to God for this newfound freedom in Christ Jesus. Some scholars believe that this woman was actually a prostitute. Someone that worked the street. Because of the type of perfume that was in their possession, it was rare and it was expensive. And only a certain type of woman could afford this type of perfume. Everybody still with me? Regardless... Whoever she was, whether it was Mary, the sister of Lazarus, the prostitute I just talked about, or Mary Magdalene, the one that was delivered from all of the demons, this woman was so impacted by Jesus that she wanted to worship him in the most sacrificial way that she could imagine. Now, let me quick, can I teach for just a minute? Maybe the Lord will let me preach, but I got this word, and I got to get it out. Let me explain for a moment a little bit more about this expensive perfume. The perfume was costly. As a matter of fact, we believe that that this alabaster jar of perfume was worth almost one year of salary. Close your eyes for a moment. Come on, close your eyes. How much money do you make in a year? All right, open your eyes. How many of you would say, not enough? (laughs) Come on up. Could you imagine giving away one year of your salary as an act of worship? If you plan to do that today, I am available for lunch. My schedule just cleared wide open. So we know that this perfume was expensive. We know that it was valuable. We know that it was rare. We know that it was difficult to come by. So she's got this incredibly expensive jar of perfume. And I want you to see what the next part of verse number three says. You ready? Brokenness and poured out. Watch this. She broke the jar and she poured the perfume on his head. As a matter of fact, come on, both campuses, here at South Metro and at Go Church, on the count of three, I want everybody to read this with me. What what did she do? One, two, three. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Come on, do it again. One, two, three. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Do you see it? She broke it and she poured it. She broke it and she poured it. Brokenness. And pouring it. Isn't that neat? Here's what her prayer was. God, I give you my whole life. I give you everything that I've got, every valuable possession that I have, I'm giving it to you. She says, this broken jar and the pouring out of the perfume represents not only my past, but it represents my future. Jesus, you have loved me so much that I will break open the most precious thing that I own, and I'll pour it out. She broke it, and she poured it. She broke it, and she poured it. She was broken and poured out. Now, that's the first story. The second story, again, is right after this one. Same book of the Bible, same chapter, Mark chapter 14, a few verses later. Now, in this story, Jesus is having a dinner or a meal with his friends. He's sitting at the table. And he's having this this, uh, fellowship meal with the disciples. Now, Jesus knows what's about to happen. In just a few short hours after this particular meal, he's going to be arrested. He's going to be beaten. He's going to be crucified. And he's going to be placed in a borrowed tomb. He's going to give his life on the cross. So this is is the, the Thanksgiving feast. Not, not to think of this in a weird way, but, but if you knew the date of your death and they offered you that final meal, how many of you know what would be on that menu? Come on now. And Jesus put together this menu. He's got his closest friends with him. And watch what happens just a few verses after this woman breaks the jar and pours out the perfume. Pick up in Mark 14, verse 22. While they were eating, Jesus took bread... And when he had given thanks, what did he do? He broke it. Now watch. And he gave it to his disciples saying, take it. This is my body. Then he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank from it. Verse 24. And he said, this is my blood. The blood of the new covenant, which is on the count of three, both campuses. Say it again. One, two, three. Poured out for many is what he said to them, brokenness and pouring out. Brokenness and pouring out. Watch this. Let me summarize this, and then I'll show you something that I think the Lord dropped in my spirit. I know the Lord dropped in my spirit. The woman. My, my, my jar, my life is broken as an, act of, as an act of worship. And I, I will pour it all out because I'm giving you my everything, Jesus. And then Jesus says, my body is broken for you. And I, I will pour out everything. I will give you my everything because I love you. Now, watch this. Those were the two stories. Now I want you to go one book of the Bible further. You've got Mark, now I want you to go to the Gospel of Luke. Because watch this, Luke was also in the room at that dinner. So Luke is writing about the exact same moment, about the exact same uh, conversation, about the exact same way that that situation played out. Luke was there, Mark was there, Jesus was there. But Luke picked up on something that Mark didn't write about. Watch what Luke says. Luke 22, verses 19 through 20. Again, Luke is explaining the exact same moment. And here's what Luke says. And he took bread, Jesus. He gave thanks, and what did he do? He broke it. And he gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Verse 20. And the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is what? Poured out. It's poured out. Basically, Luke says the same thing. He says, Jesus took bread, he gave thanks, he broke it, he gave it to them, and he said, This is my body broken for you. Then he takes the cup, which represented his blood. And he poured out the wine. He poured out the juice. But did you catch the difference? Did you notice what Luke said that Mark did not? I'm going to help you. It's right here highlighted. He said, Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me. I got a question. What is this? Do what in remembrance of me? Let me set the record straight before you think I'm about to preach heresy and send me an email. I think every, every Christian, every, every believer, every disciple, every scholar would be on the same page about this understanding of the significance of Holy Communion. That Jesus used the bread and he used the wine as a symbolism of his brokenness and his blood being poured out on that cross at Calvary. So nobody's questioning that Jesus wasn't suggesting that that the church body, that the family should not participate in Holy Communion. As a matter of fact, it's a part of our tradition here at our campuses to participate in the Lord's Supper on the first Sunday of every month and now the first Wednesday of every month. And when we do that, what are we doing? We are remembering the Lord. We're remembering Christ in his life, in his death, in his resurrection, in his inevitable return. Because guess what? Jesus is coming back. Come on, help me out. And scholars believe that when Jesus said, according to Luke's writing, do this in remembrance of me, he was speaking about celebrating the Lord's Supper. There's no question there. But some argue, and I'm gonna be honest with you, I, I tend to agree that it means more than just that. It does mean that. Participate in communion, remember me. But it, it's like a it's like a step further. It's, it's like we're we're try, he's calling us to do something deeper. Do this in remembrance of me. What if Jesus set the example? From the breaking of that bread and the pouring out of that wine and then the brokenness that was demonstrated on the cross at Calvary to tell us, live your life in the same way. Do this. Not just take communion out of religious obligation, but a call to live as Jesus lived. Broken and poured out. Yeah, taste the wafer. Yeah, drink the juice, but is your life a life that's living like Jesus lived, broken and poured out? What if the gospel is suggesting to us, don't just do it as an act of remembrance, but you also must be broken. And you also must be poured out. Wait a minute. This changes everything. It makes so much more sense why you and I have been through so much hell in our life. Why we have experienced so much pain and agony and hurt as you watched your spouse walk out on you and the children. As the doctor read to you a report that you did not want to hear. As someone you love died unexpectedly or there was some tragic moment in your life and you say, God, I don't understand it. And God says, I want you just to be broken and poured out to live your life how I lived mine, Jesus said. In a place of brokenness and in a place of being poured out, it changes everything, doesn't it? Because now we can no longer get mad at God which because we're humans, we've done. Am I the only one that's ever done that? God, Why would you do this to me? I, I've, I've said this out loud, and I'm almost embarrassed to say it, but I'm going to say it anyway. Can't you pick on somebody else? Anybody ever thought that? It's a big world, God. Can't you pick on somebody else? But when we look at this understanding that maybe Jesus was saying, do this in remembrance of me, it wasn't just about communion, the act of holy communion, but it was more about the fact that he wants us to live our lives in the same way, which means then that our journey is going to be a journey of brokenness. And I just began to pray, you know, in preparation of today. I I asked this question. I said, Lord, why why do you want me broken then? why, why do you want me poured out? What is it here? And the Lord gave me three things. The first thing to set up the three things is this. There is somebody, everybody look me in the eyes. Come on real quick. Go church too. Hear my heart. There is purpose in your pain. There is a purpose in your brokenness. You may not see it now. But God has taken you on a journey of brokenness so that you can pour out. And God will use that situation or those situations for glory. Let me give you these three things really fast. The first one is this. Write them down. God will take us through seasons of brokenness and pouring out so that we can have a greater dependency on him. Come on, give me a better amen right there. I, I don't know how often you've heard this message preached. But somebody's got to tell you, and I guess I'm the one that signed up to be the one. The gospel of Jesus Christ is an invitation to come and die. To come and die. Die to yourself so that Jesus can live through you. So when we go through seasons of brokenness and we say, God, Break me. Why? Because I want to be fully dependent on you. Whatever it takes, God, I I want to know you more intimately. I want to serve you more faithfully. Do whatever it takes. Just break me so that I can know you. In some of the deepest, darkest moments of my life, I've had such a great dependency on God. It has been the deepest, darkest moments where I didn't think I could wake up the next day. That I couldn't get out of bed. That this situation was so overwhelming and I was so exhausted. Is anybody there? Come on, just help me out for a moment. Where all I knew to say is, God, I cannot lean on my own understanding. I have to lean on you. Because watch this. Whenever you are broken, all you have is him. Oh, because when everything is put together and everything is going according to your plan and the way that you've mapped it out. Come on, let's be honest. We become very conceited. We become very self-absorbed we become so focused on our own abilities and talents and, and knowledge and wisdom and strength but when we walk through a season or we go through a situation where you are broken and poured out and you realize I cannot make it on my own that you can't make it on your own strength you have a greater dependency on Jesus and that's his desire is that you lean on him, that you lean on him. Here's the second one. You ready? Why, why, God, would you want me to be broken? Why would you want me to be poured out, not only for a greater dependency on him, but a greater empathy for others? A greater empathy for other people. Let me say this to you. Whenever we are broken, we see brokenness differently. Whenever we are broken, we see brokenness differently. Man, when when the Lord was depositing this word into my heart, uh, immediately I went to Luke chapter 10. This parable in Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse number 30, is a sermon and a story that has been preached for centuries. It's the story of the Good Samaritan. And many of you know it. Uh, They they use this in secular uh, business leadership teachings all the way down to to sermons like this one. I want you to see this story though and see what the Lord uh, showed me. Beginning in verse 30. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Then he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him. They went away, leaving him half dead. Verse 31. But a priest happened to be going down the same road. And and when this priest saw the man, you would think that the priest, the religious leader would stop and give some assistance. But the Bible says that he passed by, not just passed by him, but went to the other side to get away from him. The next verse. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he also passed by on the other side. But this is where the story gets really good. Verse 33. But a Samaritan... As he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. And the Bible says this is what he did. He went to him, bandaged up his wounds, and what did he do? Poured out oil. He poured out wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And then the final verse, verse 35, says this, and the next day he took out two coins, two denarii, gave it to the innkeeper, and he said, look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any additional or extra expenses that he may have incurred. Uh, Here's what's so interesting to me. Here's a little historical context about Samaritans. They were absolutely despised and rejected by the Jews now the Jews would have been the audience in which Jesus told this parable and the Samaritans were considered to be almost the lowest of low I don't know if you've ever been rejected like you asked out the the prom date and she said no or he said no or you got stood up for dinner or you were last the one the last one picked to be on the basketball team or when you were a kid they didn't even call your name for Red Rover come on somebody you, you can connect to the pain of, of this Samaritan. As a matter of fact, let me show you the Jewish social structure of that era. I mean, at the heartbeat of this structure were the priests. They were the priests. And, and this idea was so ingrained in this culture that even in the synagogue, it would be the priest that would read the Word of God, the Holy Scripture. And then the Levites. So you got the priest you've got the levite then you've got just regular jews the joseph jews now watch this then you've got tax tax collectors outcasts and sinners and they considered samaritans to be worse than the sinners think about this so this parable that we just read would have seemed almost impossible to a jewish audience that a priest and a levite those who are highly connected would bypass a man in need, and it would be a Samaritan that would be the hero of the story and help somebody? And I told the Lord, I said, God, why? why the Samaritan? And I just felt this in my spirit. The Samaritan saw brokenness differently because he himself was broken. So because he was broken, here's what he said. Uh, I'll give compassion. Uh, I'll give care. I'll put, some, I'll put some money on the line. Although the Samaritan, as far as we know, may have never experienced a physical attack like this one. What we know he did experience was relational and emotional pain. Because when we're broken, we see brokenness differently. So when your marriage is hurting, you can connect to the other people whose marriages are hurting When someone passes away, you can connect to someone else who walked through that same tragedy of death. Because he gives us a greater empathy for others. And then here's the last one. Number three is this. God wants you to be broken and poured out because there's a greater opportunity to be used by God. There's a greater opportunity to be used by God. You know, sometimes I think, and then there's an old saying, Preachers have said this for a while, so this isn't original. I'm stealing it. But preachers have said this before. You see the glory, but you don't know my story. I can't tell you how many times that people have come to me and said, wow, I I wish that I could have whatever it is that you have. And I'll tell them, "You, you, you don't want it because I went through hell to get it. I went through pain to get it. You, you see the glory, but you don't, you don't know the story. You don't know the nights that we cried ourselves to sleep hoping that there would be peace in our heart for the brokenness of our family. But yet I know this, that God has taken me through the seasons of brokenness so that he can use me in a greater capacity. Watch this. There is always a message with inside of your mess. There's always a message inside of your mess and watch this, write this down. And here's what I've learned. Those who God uses the greatest are often those who have been broken the deepest. Come on, help me out for a moment. Those who God uses the greatest are often those who have been broken the deepest. You don't believe me? What about Moses? Moses had this speech impediment. He he stuttered. And what did he say God you can you can't use me. I'm inadequate. I'm un, I'm unqualified. I I can't speak well. Moses was broken. Moses had no, you know why God used him? Because there was no arrogance or pride, because God had broken Moses. He wrestled with the insecurity and the inadequacy, and he knew, God, if you're going to use me, I have to lean on you, and what did God do? God used Moses to lead over one million people in the Exodus to be freed from bondage. Because God, who he uses the greatest, are often those who have been broken the deepest. What about Joseph in the Old Testament? Joseph of the Old Testament, his pain and his brokenness were the key to his greatness. At 17 years old, his family sold him. Sold him to slaves. Now, fast forward. By the time he's 30 years of age, Pharaoh placed him in charge of all of Egypt. So you do the math because you're smarter than I am. The difference between 30 and 17 is 13. For 13 years, God broke Joseph. He broke him so that Joseph could pour his life out. So God put him in a pit. I'll break you before I use you. I I, I will break you before, before I use you. Then he put him in Potiphar's house. He thought it was a promotion, only it was a setup. Then he went to the prison, and all the while, God was breaking him, putting him in uncomfortable places so that he could experience pain because who God uses the greatest are often broken the deepest. What about Saul? Think about Saul. Saul was a persecutor of the church. Saul killed Christians, so what did God do? God says, before I use you, and, and he eventually became Paul to write two-thirds of the New Testament, what did God do? He broke them. He broke him and he put blindness in his vision for three days paul saul who became paul was blind he was blind and yet all of a sudden god used that moment to change the trajectory of his life and paul goes on to establish churches to preach the gospel to write the scriptures because who god uses the greatest he'll often break the deepest and if none of those examples helped Let's go back to one of the first ones I said, Jesus. God's own son. God broke Jesus. Come on, you remember? He was so broken that in the garden, he said, Lord, please take this cup from me. That is a cry of brokenness. And God, God said this, even to his own son, he said, before I can use you to save humanity, I must break you down in the garden. And then he said this, he said, but Lord, not my will, but your will be done. And God used his son to save the people from their sins. One last thought, think about it with me. God often has to break us before he will ever use us. And my life has been a life of brokenness. And I'm so thankful for it. Because now I can preach from a place of humility, from a place of dependency, from a place of empathy, from a place of understanding that the only way that I am who I am and I am where I am is because God saw fit to break me, to break me. You want to know why God wants you broken and why he wants you poured out so that you can have a greater dependency on him, so that you can have greater empathy for others, so that there's a greater opportunity for you to be used. This is the prayer. You ready? Break me, God. Break me. Both campuses, every head bowed. I'm going to give you two minutes. I want you to pray that prayer if you dare. If you dare. Break me, break me. That's why you're going through so much. That's why the pain is so real. Not because God doesn't love you. On the contrary. Because he loves you so much he wants to use you. That's why for you it's felt like I put one foot forward and then I get blindsided and take two steps back. That's why it feels like it's been one blow right after the other. You feel backed into the corner and the enemy is just unleashing and unloading spiritual warfare. But maybe it's the Lord who says do this in remembrance of me. Don't just eat and drink. But live your life the way that I lived mine. Broken and poured out so that you can have a greater dependency on Him. So that you can have a greater empathy for the people around you. And so that God can use you to do extraordinary things for the kingdom of God. Come on, can we put our hands together and just bless the Lord? Come on, one time.